Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Join Tyler and his team as they unlock the secrets to achieving financial independence through wealth building strategies inspired by Robert Kiyosaki and other thought provoking leaders. Learn to build leveraged streams of cash flow that land in your pocket and improve your quality of life. Gain access to cutting-edge ideas that will increase your productivity and streamline your success. Find out how to supercharge your retirement plan so you won't have to retire with a pay cut. You can escape the rat race. Are you ready? It's time to Learn to Earn with Tyler Chef. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys podcast. We are back another week, and this week I want to talk about after the offer and what is next after we make our offer. But before we do that, I want to roll back to last week, last week's episode, episode 94. I give you the opportunity to take advantage of my free, it's called Mailbox Money is what I called it. It's a video course, absolutely free of charge. I'm providing that to you to help you learn how to analyze a deal. Even if you don't have time to take the course now, it's a ser- it's four emails that come. Uh, make sure you go ahead and sign up for it so you get the materials sent to you. That information is not going to be available forever. So if you want to take advantage of that, if you're looking for more education, it's absolutely free of charge. Why not go ahead over head on over to cashflowguys.com forward slash mailbox money. That will be in the show notes, cashflowguys.com forward slash mailbox money. Go ahead and get signed up. It's absolutely free. I don't need your credit card. Just need your email address and, and whatnot. And uh, go ahead and get started on that program. This week, I want to talk about submitting offers. And this is something that a lot of people are terrified to do. And because they're terrified to do it, they don't do it. I know people that have spent, shockingly enough, hundreds of thousands of dollars on real estate education and still have not written an offer. I know people that have spent 10, 15, 20, 30, 50, 100,000 dollars. And they're terrified, crippled in fear from writing an offer. That's unfortunate. And that's part of the reason why I launched this show is to get people over some of these fears to help you realize that these things are not rocket science. And sometimes one of the biggest things that people fear is the unknown. They don't know what to do next. Well, that's great. I get an offer. I write an offer, Tyler. But what if it gets accepted? Then what? Well, I don't know what to do next. So because I don't know what to do next, I'm not going to write the offer. So I decided that I would go ahead and make this episode to help you understand what next looks like. Okay. So what, what's on the backside of the taking the massive action to get things done? I think if you realize what's on the backside, you'll be a little less nervous as far as what's on the front side. So first thing I want to ask you is how did you submit the offer? And I hope that I catch some of you before you make these, some of these mistakes. I hope that I can help you be more successful when you do get the nerve to write an offer and you get ready to deliver it, that you take the steps that will help you almost, you know, get it in front of the the seller, first of all, and to be the most effective means of communication. And by that, I mean, how are you submitting the offer? Is it, are you doing it in person? Which if I had to choose, ladies and gentlemen, that would be my preferred method would be for you to be face to face with the seller. Now I know in the, in the today's day and age, of real estate agents and, and this, that, and the other, they make it 
a challenge. I should say they, I am one of them, but agents make it a challenge because they're providing representation. Sometimes there's a real estate attorney or an attorney, a family law attorney in the mix that's representing the sellers or something like that. So there are sometimes intermediaries that are there in an effort to represent the seller and the seller's needs. First thing I want to tell you about that is respect that situation. The sellers have chosen to have somebody represent their interest. You as an investor really should respect that seller's intention. Now, I realize that in today's society, respect is probably an old-fashioned way of, of uh, addressing things. But if somebody else has a, an arrangement with another party for representation, let's say the seller has an attorney or the seller has a real estate agent, please honor that relationship by going through whoever they've chosen to represent them. If they didn't want the representation, folks, they wouldn't have hired them. So that's the first thing. So if you're going to be in person, one of the things that you can do is get with the real estate agent and write an addendum or just a, a note that you have the offer and that you would like to present it to the seller directly in the agent's presence or in their attorney's presence. That's one way of doing it. And I realize that may come off as somewhat confrontational. A lot of you are thinking, there's no way I'm ever going to do that. Well, that's cool. If you're not going to do that, then I ask that you hire a, a somebody that will for you. Because I feel that you'll be far more effective, especially if your offer is creative. It will be far more effective if it is presented face-to-face. -face. Now, in today's society, sometimes we've got absentee owners. We've got people who live across the country, across the world. That makes it challenging to try to present some of these offers in person. While there are other ways to do it, you can use video chat, for example, Skype, uh, Zoom, any one of those. You could do it that way uh, where you're face-to-face -face with them, although you're in different parts of the world or different parts of the state or heck, across town. doesn't matter. But use a uh, website like zoom.us. That's Z-O-O-M.us. Great way to deliver offers kind of face-to-face. -face. If you can't go with the real thing, this is probably the next best thing you could do. Regular mail is a way that can be done. Uh, email is most common these days. And what's happened, folks, a lot of times, if you're working with an agent, I want you to ask the agent this question. How are you delivering my offer? Because if the agent's just going to email it over without calling and pitching the offer to the listing agent, they're kind of wasting your time. Heck, you could do that. You don't need them for that. I believe, as an agent, when I submit an offer for a buyer, I call the other agent and have a communication with the other agent, okay? I want the agent to understand a little bit about my buyer, how we arrived at what we arrived at, our intentions. I want to ensure them that our buyer is qualified to buy, that we're not wasting the seller's time. These are things that are very, very important when you're making that offer. Uh, I can't stress enough how important it is to recognize that it's critical, critical to differentiate yourself, especially in this market, differentiate yourself from the other offers by more than just price and terms. And by that, I mean a lot of properties that go on the market these days, if you're dealing with properties that are quote unquote on market, and frankly, if you're dealing with properties that are off market, because really there's no such thing as on and off market anymore, in my opinion. I'll cover that in a second. The, the a lot of times we've got multiple offer situations. Uh, in multiple offer situations, only thing the seller usually will have to look at, they're a little stressed out. They always offers to figure out. The agent is is look shuffling through them, and sometimes they they rely on the agent to help them pick the best offer for them and whatnot. But 
Realistically, yours should stand out. And one of the ways you can do that is by writing them a letter and submitting that along with your offer or submitting it before your offer to have the sellers kind of get to know you, so to speak. Uh, I've done this several times. I just had this done recently with one of my investor clients. They're probably listening to the show up there in sunny Alaska, but they wrote a very nice, very well, well worded letter to the seller. And although it didn't work initially, it did keep us front of mind with the seller. So when the offer they accepted fell apart, guess who got a phone call? We did. I think that letter was a big part of that happening is the fact that we became memorable. And although initially they looked, they judged the offers by taking the highest one, they didn't look at the highest quality one. Well, we were given reconsideration because that letter was submitted. And, you know, it can say whatever you need to say that's factual. First of all, it should be factual because you wouldn't want to start out a new business relationship based on a lie. So please don't say, you know, I buy 100 houses a month because you don't buy 100 houses a month. Most people don't. I don't even think Grant Cardone buys 100 units a month. So there you have it. One thing before we finish up there, I wanted to remind you, please don't ever send an offer by text message. Don't send an offer unsolicited. Make sure the other party have a meeting of the minds, then send the offer. It is far more effective. And I realize there are other ways to do it. And Jimmy Joe Bob does it that way. And he does everything with a text message. And, you know, that may be fine for him. But the real reality of it is, if you ever plan to buy real estate creatively, you're not going to be effective in doing that with a text message. You're just not. It's cold and impersonal. There's no possible way you can ever build rapport that way. It's just not possible. Uh, text messages for, I guess, a late night booty call, if, if that strikes your fancy, but it's not designed for negotiating real estate. Okay. Text messages to send your wife a message saying, you, do you need milk while I'm at the store? Something like that. That's what a text message is for, but it's not meant to build rapport. It's not meant for business negotiation. So please leave your cell phone in your pocket. So the offer submitted. Now we sit and wait, right? Well, Here's the thing. If you're doing it right, you really shouldn't have anything to worry about because you should have a pretty good idea if you're face-to-face -face with the seller whether or not your offer is going to be accepted. Okay? One thing I don't want you to do in any market, I don't care whether we're a buyer's market, seller's market, I believe both of those terms are myths, by the way, but I'm going to use them because other people do for now for the point of illustration, but let's assume You've got your offer submitted. Now what are you going to do? Wait for that one to get accepted and do nothing else? No, you continue on your search for property. If you are an investor, you're going to need more than one property in order to build a retirement and escape the rat race. That's just how it works. Unless you buy one really big one. And then still I would caution you to put all your eggs in one basket. Buy more than one. Why not? So you write the one offer. While you're waiting for that to get accepted, you should always be looking for more opportunity. Always, always, always be looking for more opportunity. Continue stirring the pot, seeing what's out there, seeing what comes to the top, looking for more opportunity. That task should never end, really, unless your portfolio has gotten to the point to where you're just sick of counting $100 bills and, and you're done, so you don't need more property. Well, then you can stop looking for more property. But until that comes, please continue the hunt. Keeping in mind that even if your offer does get accepted, you may get into the due diligence period to find out that the property doesn't meet it, meet your criteria. Sometimes there's only so much you can, you can know about a property from behind the fence, so to speak. 
there's only so much the seller's going to let you know on the front end of the deal. It's going to take some rolling up your sleeves, getting your hands dirty and due diligence, which we've covered in previous episodes, to find out if this property meets your investment criteria. On market versus on off market is becoming a myth. And I, we talked about that a minute ago. I want to just touch on that for a minute. People are advertising, well, this is an off market deal. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of you that listen to this show are new investors. So I'm going to be real frank and direct with you. Off market deals usually are not nearly as good a deal or as lucrative as on market deals. You want to know why? Because an off-market deal is usually held by an investor, usually held by a wholesaler that's trying to make as much money possible off of you, period. If it's off-market, I'm telling you, if you found out about it, I guarantee you they have marketed it to 15 other people. It's probably been blasted out by email. So off-market opportunities are usually not all they're cracked up to be, so don't get fooled by thinking something is a great deal solely on the point that it, solely because it's like it's considered off market off market basically means it's not listed on the MLS. At least that's my understanding. Well, just because it's not on the MLS doesn't mean that it's a good deal. And frankly, there are plenty of opportunities on the MLS if you take the time to negotiate. And here's the difference. Now, this is something that Larry Harbolt and I banter back and forth about. He used to say, there is no such thing as a good deal on the MLS. Now, he says, it doesn't mean that I won. It just means that I haven't lost because <laughs> I'm as stubborn as he is. He now says there are no good deals on the MLS as written. And what that means is that anything you find on the MLS, chances are, is going to need to be negotiated. Well, I got news for you. Anything you find on Craigslist, anything you find on a bandit sign, anything you find on Facebook, or wherever else you're looking at off-market haha deals is going to need negotiation probably to get it to where you want it to be. I have never once in my life ever ever watched, looked, saw a deal, saw an opportunity sitting in front of me where I was like, well, there's a deal right there. I'll take it. No, sorry. doesn't work that way. Never going to convince me to the contrary. So that means that every deal is going to need some sort of negotiation. And I say this a lot. If you're not the type of person that's comfortable doing that negotiation, Simply hire somebody that is. That's where real estate coaches come in. Now, a lot of real estate coaches don't negotiate your deals for you. And frankly, I don't blame them because that's a skill that people need to learn. I don't mind doing it for people if I'm representing them as a realtor. But as their coach, and I do, do some, have some coaching students even to this day, I won't negotiate their deals for them because they want to become independent investors. There's no possible way. You're going to become an independent investor if you get somebody else negotiating your deals for you. Now, I will say that in some cases, some of these quote unquote real estate coaches, they don't know how to negotiate themselves. Therefore, they couldn't do it for you if they wanted to because they don't have any skills in that department, but they're good at writing books and tapes. That's unfortunate. You can tell based on somebody's personality whether they may or may not be a good negotiator. Those of you listening to this show probably think that I probably have a clue what I'm doing with negotiations. Anybody that knows Jill, my wife, would probably get the same feeling. She is really good at negotiating. Frankly, she's better at it than I am. She's kind of like a ninja when it comes to negotiating. She's all cute and smiley and pretty blonde and a beautiful smile. And, and everybody just gets captivated by her bubbliness. And then before you know it, you just sold your property for 
a lot less than what you thought you were going to sell it for. Hey, you know, it's what she's good at. What can I say? We're dangerous at a garage sale, the two of us. It's shameful. Shame on us. What are we thinking? So enough about on-market, off-market. When should you follow up to check on the offer? And this is something people ask me quite often is, is or they'll just won't follow up at all, which is worse. When you write the offer, you should have some sort of a reasonable expectation of how long it, you feel it should take for them to respond back. Now, let's say you've ignored all my advice, which I know some of you do anyway, and you just blindly sent over a, an offer by text message. Well, that's an instant message. So if you're going to send it by text, I guess I would respect an instant message response. Now, wouldn't I? Yeah, exactly. Now you see why I think text messaging is ridiculous when it comes to trying to do business. So you send the offer over by email or you're talking to them on the phone. I would generally expect 24 hours to be reasonable in most cases. Now, this is the benefit of talking to the sellers or developing rapport with the listing agents is to have a conversation with them to discover what is actually going on behind the scenes over there. In other words, they may be out of town. Maybe they're traveling Europe. Maybe they've got a sick kid in the hospital. Maybe their grandmother's sick or in the nursing home, or maybe they're going to be on vacation. Who knows? You should know these things before you send the offer over so you know what to expect as to a response. The one thing you don't want to do is to get all cranky when you don't get a response back or become rude and obnoxious, which apparently in today's society is now okay. We've lost our ability to be polite. It's gone. I've had people... You know, they send an offer over. If they don't receive a response in an hour, first of all, it was a realtor, and they they never called me to even tell me they were writing an offer. The offer came over. It was missing half the paperwork. And guess what? It was Sunday, and Sunday's kayak day, and I was kayaking, so I'm not waiting by the phone for you to send over an offer. You maybe would have called me, sent me a heck, even sent me a text message to tell me an offer's coming. Something, maybe I'd be looking for it. So don't be like that, folks. If you send an offer over, you should, before you ever send the offer over, you should be having some sort of communication with whoever the gatekeeper is and letting them know that to expect an offer. Heck, pre-negotiate the offer and then follow it up with, with an offer in writing. What's wrong with that? So generally speaking, I would give them, depending on the scenario, but I would give them, if I don't know any, if I don't, if I, the best of my ability, there's nothing out of the ordinary going on, then I would say, 24 hours is reasonable. If for some reason that's not reasonable, if you give more than 24 hours, this is just my opinion, if you give more than 24 hours, you're kind of opening yourself up to multiple offers. In other words, there may be more than one buyer, more than you out there wanting to buy this property. So I would try to close that window as much as possible so that you can make sure your offer is considered first. That said, this is the benefit of buying what's not for sale. And I've talked about this on the show on many, many occasions. Buying uh, properties that are not necessarily for sale, which means a wholesaler doesn't know about them. They're not on the MLS. They're not on Craigslist. They're not advertised anywhere. Your offer is actually solving a problem, and the seller doesn't even know they need to sell. Those are the best offers because you don't have any competition. So let's say you followed up and, well, you get a counter offer. The seller's done a counter. That's good. That's not a bad thing. And a lot of times people get stressed out. They're like, oh, geez. They countered, now what? Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. That means, number one, you obviously haven't made them angry because they actually responded. So that's good. Uh, number two, the fact that they're showing some sort of movement is critical because in any for any negotiation to be effective, it needs to be win-win. 
Because if it's not win-win, it's not going to work for everybody, and you may wind up being at the closing table by yourself. So the fact that they've counter-offered, hear them out. And this is a great opportunity to make, if you haven't been successful in getting face-to-face with the seller yet, now is a great time to try to get face-to-face with the seller. Why, you ask? Because it's very difficult for one person to look at another person and say no. So in with that theory, with that logic in place, if you are practiced, if you've done this several times, gotten good at overcoming no, then go sit face-to-face with the seller. They're, they're going to be powerless to say no to you on a counteroffer. Give it a shot. Roll up your sleeves. They won't kill you, I promise. Give it a, give it a roll and see how it works. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at how successful you can be. Let's say, for example, the offer got declined. Now, what do you do? Now, here, here's, let me give you an example of what happened recently. I had an offer on one of my listings. The seller gave me explicit instructions in writing not to accept any verbal offers. Well, agent came over and, and threw an offer that was 50% of list price. Now, for perspective, this is a brand new, brand spanking new renovation. I mean, the paint's not even dry yet. And they did a beautiful job. And it's a new agent that sent over this offer that was being represented by a quote-unquote investor who was just basically working this poor agent to death, writing a bunch of bogus offers, okay, that were useless, hoping that somebody would be dumb enough to sell their property at 50% of market value. The problem is the agent wasn't savvy enough to realize that this was a fresh rehab. Therefore, there was no real motivation. It was on the market about two days, and there was no distinct motivation for them for the seller to even consider this offer. Well, you can imagine how that turned out, okay? So when I responded politely, I said, thank you for the offer. However, the seller has instructed me to only accept, only to consider written offers. The agent come unglued, started quoting scripture and verse from the National Association of Realtors Code of Ethics. So that was a little, took me back a little bit, and I just sat there and let them, kind of tire themselves out, like catching a fish and let them get over themselves. And then when they were done yammering on, I just repeated the same thing I said, and they hung up on me. About two days later, I get another offer from the same agent, from the same buyer, that's $10,000 lower than the first one, with the agent saying some choice words written in black magic marker on the front of the offer. Starts with an F. The first word and the next one started with a Y. I'll leave it up to your imagination what the rest said. This is what goes on, folks. This is how people are acting in today's society. It's sad. Well, needless to say, I have a duty, it's now a written offer, to turn that over to my seller. Correct? Yep, absolutely correct. So I turned that over to my seller, and guess what my seller said? Under no circumstances will we ever consider an offer from this idiot again, both the agent and the buyer. Well, here's the problem. My seller sells a ton of property. They are a very experienced rehab company, and most of our listings sell within days of hitting the market. So that agent, seller will not accept offers from that agent anymore. That's going to become uncomfortable for that agent at some point in the future. I don't know what to tell the agent. There's really nothing I can do. I am, after all, obligated to present all offers. As they said, how unfortunate. So if you respond, you know, when I, I get offers declined all the time, 
my own offers and my sellers or my buyer's offers. That's just the part of the beast, the nature of the beast. So when that happens, how you react to that will dictate whether your hat stays in the ring or you're ever going to have a shot again, as the previous example just illustrated. So based on that, when an offer comes over that's been rejected, usually the agent delivers the news by email or by text, which drives me crazy, but it is what it is because most people are non-confrontational. No is a painful word and people don't want to say the word no in person. A little cowardly, but it is what it is. So when I receive that text or email, I then call the agent. Now, some of the real chickens really, they won't even answer the phone. But maybe that's just because they're an agent, they're not answering the phone, who knows. But they don't answer the phone just the same. So I'll call them. And when they answer, I say, you know, Jane, I want to thank you for taking the time. Uh, and the seller, by the way, thank, please thank the seller on our behalf for taking the time to consider our offer. It's unfortunate it wasn't accepted. In the event, God forbid, something happens to the other offer, please reconsider us. We would like to keep our hat in the ring. Again, I really appreciate you taking the time to consider our offer. If I can't get them by phone to say that, I will leave that in a voicemail uh, and or I will send it over an email with those very words on it, thanking them for the opportunity to present the offer. You see, I subordinate. See, listing agents like that for whatever reason. There are a lot of the old school war horses. They think because they're a listing agent, they have some some power over the rest of the universe. And I'm a listing agent too. And I'm not any more powerful than any other person because it's not my house. It's the reality of it, guys. It's not my house. So I don't have any power. The only one's got power here is the seller. And realistically, their property needs to qualify to be sold. And that's how I look at it. So I kind of think of everybody as equal, you know, silly me. So now you've responded well. The first offer, let's say, came fell apart. You get a phone call from the agent, phone call from the seller. And the first thing you hear is, we've reconsidered your offer and we're willing to accept. Well, that's outstanding. So the next thing I'm going to ask you is, now what? What's the next step? What do you do now? A lot of you are probably thinking, my first step is I'm going to absolutely panic. Panic. Run around. Panic. Panic. <laughs> no, don't panic. Please don't panic. Because there's nothing to panic about. Because at this stage of the game... Now it's up to you to decide if this property is worth closing on. So the offer process is done. Now it's your turn to decide you're driving the bus at this point. So the power, if you feel that you're in a seller's market, but your offer has been accepted, guess what? There's been a paradigm shift. You are now in the driver's seat. Congratulations. So let's move on. First step is we're going to need to get our due diligence done. Okay, folks, and we're going to start with the stuff that doesn't cost money first. When I write an offer, ladies and gentlemen, I purposely write the offer to say, subject to buyer's acceptance of home and termite inspection, but I will also say, all the paperwork that I require needs to be delivered to me, and the due diligence period will begin within one business day from the day that the last of the documents has been delivered to the buyer from the seller. Here's the thing, folks. 99.99999% of people that have put their properties on the market are not, from a paperwork perspective, ready to do so. I guarantee you. I am thorough with my due diligence. I want copies of utility bills, copies of this, copies of that. I've talked about this in my due diligence episode going back a few episodes. We've talked about this. And due diligence, I want to make sure they've provided all the paperwork. Okay, So I structure my offers that way. 
to buy myself some time because I am constantly running offers on properties that I don't have the money to buy. I do that because I'm a syndicator. That's what I do. I buy properties using other people's money, other people's resources. So I'm always writing offers to see what could be accepted. And then once something is accepted, I'm going and looking for the capital to do it. But keeping in mind that I'm always raising capital, always, 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 always raising capital. So for me, I'll look at a property. If I find that it won't pass the due diligence, let's say they don't have valid leases or the property is a train wreck inside or things like that. Before I go spend the money to hire an inspector, let's get that inexpensive stuff out of the way. Okay. Let's get that out of the way. So that gives us a, quite a bit of uh, free time to get, because I've had sellers drag me on 30 days waiting for them to turn over paperwork. That's the reality of it. So that's just free time for you. Next step after due diligence is get all your paperwork to the lender. If you're borrowing money from a bank or a lending institution or any type of institutional lending, they're going to require a mountain of paperwork from you. Make sure you get it all to them right up front and early. Because you want to eliminate that objection from the mix. Lenders do their best to get you closed on time. But if they have to wait for you and you ask any mortgage broker, they're going to tell you, what's the number one delay of closings? Buyers turning over paperwork. Absolutely is the number one reason why. So that said, well, just make sure you turn it in up front. Have it together. Get with your mortgage broker before you even go shopping. And have all the paperwork together and turn it into them before you even write the offer. My favorite thing, folks, hire a TC. They call it a TC, a transaction coordinator. I have a transaction coordinator that works for me. She does all of the admin duties related to the real estate that I do. I'm the guy that's on the phone negotiating with parties and putting stuff together and doing this and doing that. But she's actually the one that does the paperwork and does whatever. Why? Because I suck at details. I'm terrible at details. But she's great at it. So Audra does all that for me, and she is fantastic at it. And frankly, without her, I would be a mess. On the cash flow guy side, aside from my realtor side, I've got Beth. Beth is the details person. Beth and Lindsay both keep me in line, so to speak. That's a beautiful thing. My job is to sit down on the microphone and try to make some sense to you folks. That's my job. Verify the title work is being done right. We've talked about that in previous episodes. You're going to need to get on the phone with the title company. Hopefully, you were smart enough to control title. I've said that before as well. Always be the one that picks the title company. You as the buyer should always pick the title company. And we'll talk more about that in future episodes. But uh, And never, ever, 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 I've said this before again, never agree to title insurance exceptions. Do not allow any exceptions on your title policy. And really, folks, after that, you know, you've got people in your team that are taking you over the, the finish line here with your deals. That's really it. It's not rocket science. It's not hard. When problems come up, solve them one at a time. Work through the process. Write yourself out a process. This is going to be coming up, and I'm going to be putting out some emails and whatnot. If you're not on my email list, you need to be cashflowguys.com forward slash register. I'll do some closing checklists and things like that in future emails. Again, if you have not taken the Mailbox Money course, please do so. It's free. You really don't have an excuse. It'll take you about an hour of your time. Cashflowguys.com forward slash Mailbox Money. I'm going to wrap up right there this week. We're at our uh, 30 minutes, and I want to keep respect your time. And, of course, i got to get back to doing what I do best is helping people solve problems and make cash flow. So I appreciate you taking the time to join me today, and I'll catch up with you next week. 
This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to CashflowGuys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas so you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.